nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. It's episode 90 of this thing. As per usual, I'm joined by Kyle Carr and Riley Felwin. Fellas, how are we doing? I'm doing okay. I think what we need to do is all this podcast money we're rolling in. And listeners, let me guarantee you, it's a lot of money. We need to take break off a little bit and probably hire an actual podcast producer because we are about half an hour late recording because I can't get our platform to work and when i hit record there i had to like signal to adam to go so it's it's really it's firing in all cylinders over here much like the milwaukee bucks so uh we're life imitating podcast imitating life i guess is what we're doing right now you know if i once the money starts rolling in for this podcast along with the stimmy that comes in <laughs> and the tax return what I need to do is create a Bucks Twitter bracket of just truly the elites of the elites. Just no holds barred. Like the top people on Bucks Twitter have a bracket, let that go, and then maybe I'll end up deleting it after I get shitted on for making said bracket. That's what I'm going to do with my money. And and because you would put all that effort in, Kyle, it would only be right if you made yourself a number one seed as well. Right. I have to be a number one seed. And then when I get called out for being the number one seed, I'm going to have someone on a different team's Twitter take my spot as the number one seed. So that's all I'm going to do. And while I'm at it, it's a nice day outside. It's sunny. It's windy. It's chilly, but it is sunny. That's like a really highly specific scenario you have planned out in your mind, Kyle. Have you been thinking about it a lot? Or it's just, I think it's interesting how you have it, it all. It just popped in my head. I don't know. <laughs> It just, I don't know why. March like, Madness on the mind. I get it. Yeah, I get what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, March Madness is going. So, like, this seems like a perfect time to do that. Well, it was a perfect uh, time for yeah. the Bucks to get out from three <laughs> against the Indiana Pacers. They win 140 to 113 to kick off this last week of games. Bucks shooting absolutely blistering 24 of 39, 61.5%, as I said. Really, this one got out of hand early and just kept steamrolling from there. Giannis, the interesting part about this game, of course, was that Giannis set this one out with a knee sprain, but in his stead, Drew Holiday absolutely went to work. 28 points, 14 assists. Chris chimes in with 25 points, 6 assists, 8 rebounds. Brooke had 18. Bobby Portis had 18. Everyone really had it going on that night, but from the outset, Kyle, the great part was Drew Holiday took over, and we saw him, even though he doesn't seem to want to be the primary ball handler, he sure looked pretty good doing it in that game. Yeah, this was a Drew decided I'm going to be the guy and everything's going to run through me and you guys just do what you need to do, a.k.a. hit shots and we'll be fine. And on defense, I will, again, take charge, follow my lead and everything will be okay. And that's what happened with this game. It was a very it's a good display of what the Bucks offense can look like at its peak. You know, everyone was hitting threes besides Brooke Lopez, which is a little weird, but Brooke was able to work down low because 
the Pacers did not have Miles Turner, so they had absolutely no rim protection. Even with Miles Turner, they didn't have rim protection, but this just added to it. But it was a good game from everyone involved. You know, no Giannis being there. I mean, the Pacers are still not the level of talent where if you don't have Giannis, you're kind of worried. But yeah, watching Drew just take over and everything, it just seemed like everything revolved around him and everything flowed through him and kind of like what you were saying, Adam, even though he doesn't want to be the primary ball handler, this is why you get Drew. This is why you get Drew Holiday because what he's able to do and how he's able to just calmly have everything run efficiently, it works out really well. And I mean, it also helps that, you know, Bryn Forbes goes, what, 7-7 seven to seven or something. Like, Bryn Forbes couldn't miss. Pat Connaughton couldn't miss. Everyone was hitting threes left and right, which does help make everyone's stats look better. But it just seemed like the Drew Holiday was in complete control on both ends of the floor, and he was the best player on that court. I didn't watch the game, so I'm just going to admit that straight up because I, I didn't watch live, and then I saw the final score. I was like, all right, it's probably not a lot to take away from this one. Um, two things that I would note. One, if the Bucks could shoot 61% from three from here on out, I think that would be a big difference maker for how far they can go as a team. Uh, Pat Connaughton going six to seven from three. Show out, Pat. That's what I'm talking about. That contract, I, all, this was a week where all these guys who I, I have hated on, I think other people have also hated on, but I'll, I'll take responsibility for myself. I need to shut my mouth about it because Pat has been a decent player for everything, uh, all the guff we gave him earlier in the season. Um, Bryn Forbes has turned out to be, like, he's super locked in, really great from three. The, the other thing I note as well from this one um, P.J. Tucker's still working his way into the lineup. And in this sort of game where Giannis is out, you could see like, oh, he'll come in and he'll do like a little bit more on offense. Or maybe he'll like try to do a little bit more than his role. And yet in his like 12 minutes, he still stays like extremely in his role as the like, I'm not going to do anything on offense if it's not shooting from the corner three. And I'm going to be here for defense. So credit to him for that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Besides looking at the box score, it looks like everybody shot really well. Uh, Even though Dante didn't shoot well, but Besides that, everybody else did well. So good for them. Yeah, Tucker nearly snelled it with his 12-minute zero <laughs> field goal. One assist. So it's an interesting game by him. The The other interesting thing to note is that instead of Bobby Portis going into the starting lineup, Bud opted to have Pat Connaughton in there. And then he made he did make some notes later this week, and we'll talk about Bobby Portis being out for the health and safety protocols. But it's interesting how he talks about Connaughton as their small ball four which is which is fine, but always feels a little weird given they still have someone like Chris Middleton who could probably theoretically be a four, but he still thinks of Connaughton as as the four. I think maybe because he thinks he's a little a little switchier, a little able to get around screens a bit more. I do think Chris's defense has has definitely leveled off from where it was like five years ago when we were like, wow, this guy prototypical three and D player. But um, I mean, Drew Holiday in this one, it wasn't just that everything. Everything flowed out of him passing-wise, but he was hitting some ridiculous step-back jumpers. I mean, he was taking all of these kinds of shots from all over the court. And we should note that, like Kyle said, the Pacers didn't have Turner. They also didn't have Malcolm Brogdon, so it was kind of Karis LeVert trying to carry the show and DeMontis Sabonis. And it, it really was – the three-pointers started falling, but the Bucks were able to really get whatever they wanted all across the court against a Pacers defense that really looked out of sorts and, and – didn't really stand a chance the whole night. So um, nice win. I'm yeah, also yeah. I'm, I'm deeply thankful that Malcolm didn't play because if he did and the result was it was was 
what it was, uh, it would have been a tough podcast recording. So Malcolm, get healthy. We need you back for whenever we play the Pacers next so I can continue to try and keep this argument going. You can keep trying this argument going, but the fact that he's been ducking his team so many times, I don't know. Like, I, that might be a sign. It, it, it's going to, I don't know who said in our chat, but this is the equivalent of Lonzo ducking De'Aaron Fox. It's not a good look for me. Um, one other thing to note, the Holiday brothers were all on the court, and um, while Drew had a good night, his brothers went one of 17 combined from the floor. So a tough night, tough night for them. Drew is, he the old, is he the oldest brother? Do we know? I don't know what the Holiday brother sequence is. I think he's the oldest. I think Aaron is the youngest. Okay. Because um, he's only a couple years out of UCLA, I'm pretty sure. And I don't know about Justin, but I would guess Drew is the oldest. I'm going okay. to look right now. Hmm. Hold on. This is this is scintillating uh, podcasting. So this welcome, is the Alex. Stuff that people want to see. This <laughs> yeah. is it. What's this family self? Come on. Okay, let's see. Both the holidays brothers are in the NBA. Wow, this is weird. Okay, so it said like, oh, he has a younger sister, Lauren Holiday. I was like, wait, what? No, Lauren Holiday. He married Lauren, who used to play for the U.S. Women's National Team. So then I was like, wait, that's a whole different Lauren Holiday. I got lost for a second. All right, so. Justin Holiday is 31. Aaron uh, Holiday is 24. So, yes, Aaron is definitely the youngest. And then Drew is 30. <laughs> so, Drew is the middle child. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, and, okay. Well, I'll just cut that after all the podcast for, is done. <laughs> thanks for bringing that up, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I, okay. I just felt it was an angle. As an older brother myself, I was like, oh, of course you have to son your younger siblings. But that's not the case. So, it's just another tangent that led to nowhere. Well, the the Bucks. I don't have a good segue. The Bucks then <laughs> faced the Boston Celtics on Wednesday night. Uh, a narrow win, one twenty one to one nineteen. At one point, they were up by twenty five. The Celtics come back in a it's just an annoying Celtics way. Um, Chris has twenty seven points. Brooke and Dante both chip in seventeen points. Portis has a really quick twenty one points. A lot of those points scored in the first half in quick succession. Uh, the thing to note, of course, is that Giannis had a very quiet night, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 turnovers. Didn't really look like his same aggressive self that we've been seeing this past month. But um, I don't know. This was a this was like an interesting game because it seemed like the Bucks had it completely in hand and then Boston kind of made it feel closer than it was supposed to be. They end up – Daniel Tice misses a last-second three-pointer, so the Bucks end up hanging on. But I don't know. It was, it was annoying that the Boston Celtics came back, but it seemed like – Riley, the the Bucks did have everything going for them against the the Celtics at least through you know the first thirty minutes or so. Yeah, and I really don't mind. I mean, you would generally like to just stomp on the team and not have it be close whatsoever. But what have we talked about all season? It's like if they can continue to win ugly games. Yes, you you want to go back and diagnose what it was that made you give up the twenty five point lead. But if you can still execute and get the win at the end of the day against pretty decent competition, um, no harm, no foul. And and I think really those first thirty minutes are what's notable because you see the Bucks, they come out, even though Giannis kind of struggles, there was contributions enough from everybody else against it. I mean the Celtics have been like lagging a little bit lately, but they're still, they have the personnel, they have the coaching staff. They know, especially like a Kemba Walker type, the way that he plays um, can be in the past when we had a lot of the zone drop, it would be absolutely killer. And yet you're able to kind of absorb that. And so um, 
I kind of ignore that final falling off because it's like a mix of we don't care slash the Celtics kind of put it together for 10 to 12 minutes and make it competitive. But um, I don't know if you took that random kind of outlier outs, pretty dominant game overall. And even if Giannis struggles, we saw enough from everybody else to be able to pick it up, which it is a good sign, even though we're going to want Giannis to play a lot better against the likes of the Celtics and other top competition who are going to be focusing um, a lot on him. I don't know if it's necessarily a personnel issue with Boston. If it's his, we'll talk about this a little bit more at the next game where it's a lot more pronounced or like his knee, he's just like tuckered out or what the deal is. But a win is a win, I guess, is the <laughs> takeaway from this game. Well, I mean, Milwaukee shot really well in the first half and Boston, Boston did not look, I mean, Boston shot like garbage in the first half that you knew was going to turn around at some point, but it was more Milwaukee's inability to play decent basketball that really allowed the Celtics to come back more than Boston itself. Like Milwaukee was turning the ball over left and right. They weren't hitting their shots. They just looked completely disjointed when they went out to their large lead. And yes, I get that it's a little bit frustrating that you kind of have this lead and then it ends up being close at the end. But this always happens against the Boston Celtics. I think for the last two or three years, Boston has always been able to slowly make comebacks. And at least if there's a large deficit, they've been able to get back in this game. So I don't like this isn't surprising. They still won. It's still something you need to do. I, I know a lot of people are freaking out saying, well, this team can't do anything down the road. It's like, well, no, I think if anything, this shows that the Bucks can play like garbage for a whole half and still end up pulling out a win. Maybe they need to spot the other team 25 points, but they still they've found a way to win. They made the plays that they need to. Dante gets the big block at the end. Brooke Lopez got the big block at the end. Chris had the deflection that Giannis, if he just holds on to the ball, it ends in and there's no chance of, you know, a final shot at the end. So the Bucks made the plays they needed to on defense. It was just that their offense completely disappeared. And how much of that is Giannis just not looking 100%? We don't know how much of that is, you know, just everyone. I don't know. Like, I, it's clear that the Bucks need a second ball handler. I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway I got from it. Because trying to shoehorn Chris and Dante into that second ball handler role when Drew is not able to do it 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 doesn't end well it doesn't look good but overall i think it was these are the kind of games that you want to win these are the games that i think milwaukee needs to understand you have to play four full quarters when you get to the postseason it's fine in the regular season if you play two full quarter or two and a half and you still get a win but that's not going to work if you want to get as far as you hope to go uh, other thing should be noted, uh, Chris, 12 shot attempts in the first half, ends up with 20 overall. Pretty good from him. I'd like to see that a lot more consistently, especially against an opponent or if Giannis is ailing. It's like, okay, if, if Giannis isn't going to take over himself and he's going to defer, it's going to come down to Chris or Drew, ideally, to be the ones to take those shots. I mean, Dante, he goes five or six from three, so I don't want to totally poo-poo his performance, but typically you're going to want Chris or Drew to be taking a lot of those shots, and I think Drew is still... Um, I wouldn't say he's not nervous, but it doesn't seem like he's at the point where he's like, I'm just going to like take over the offense here, um, which is fine because he's still like the new guy to the team. And so in that sort of situation, it's incumbent upon Chris to not kind of like float. He needs to take over and take the shots and he did in this one. So uh, good on you, Chris. I'd like to see that a little bit more as well. And there are definitely times, especially in the second Celtics game where Drew was kind of dribbling and 
I maybe it's just Kemba Walker in general, but there's times where Kemba Walker is able to just kind of like get a deflection and get his hand on the ball and kind of disrupt Drew's dribbling. So I wonder if that might have had if that had played a part in it as well, where maybe he wasn't completely feeling as comfortable. Yeah, let's talk about that second Celtics game. So the Bucks lose one twenty two to one fourteen in that one. Celtics. Celtics really make their huge push. It was pretty close. I, I didn't watch this one live. I watched it the next day, and I kept kind of waiting to figure out when it is that the Celtics seem to make their push. And turns out it was the third quarter when the Celtics <laughs> go nine of fourteen on three pointers. Which, I, I mean, for for you know whatever you want to say about it, the Bucks actually shot pretty well from three, all things considered. I mean, like forty percent, and they they made a few less than the Celtics. But part of that was that period was just such a barrage by Boston and, and the Bucks could not keep up with them in any sort of way. And then early in the fourth quarter, Bud doesn't, Bud doesn't play Giannis at all in the fourth quarter. And then with like seven and a half minutes left, he kind of waves the, you know, the, the cream flag and then six minutes in he waves the full white flag. And then, um, you know, Chris Middleton has 19 points. Giannis only has 16 points. Uh, Sam Merrill encouraging 15 points. Uh, it was nice to see him make some shots. Um, Brooke, Brooke only plays 19 minutes. I mean, the biggest difference between this game and the last game was Boston ships out Daniel Tice. They have Robert Williams in for this one. I think that changed the floor a little bit. Like I thought that the Bucks' offense looked significantly more stagnant in this second game. Even if Boston was making a lot of threes, I felt like there wasn't the sort of offensive diversity that we saw. I felt like any game where Dante shoots nine threes, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. It felt like, it, it felt like to me the especially the second half of this game, it felt like the old Bucks five out offense, which is when you know, and, and especially when Giannis isn't aggressive. I mean, you could you saw him, I saw him kick out more often than I I can remember when he's already has paint penetration in these last two Boston Celtics games. It was kind of crazy. So, and then in that second one especially, Brooke couldn't get anything going inside. He's essentially played off the floor and, and Bud, like I, I haven't checked what his minute totals will be against the year, but this has to be some of the fewest minutes he's probably played all season, um, realistically. And it, it just seemed like, I don't know, Kyle, it seemed like the Bucks offense like lost its sort of diversity and identity. And anytime they did try to drive, they would pass and it would just get, they would get it taught. Boston would get their hand in there and they would turn it over. It was pretty frustrating. Yeah, it was a weird game. I mean, we also found out Bobby Portis was not going to play because he had entered the health and safety protocol. So I think that threw things off as well. You know, maybe with Brooke not playing as well, you could have thrown Bobby Portis out there. P.J. Tucker, I don't believe, played either. So there wasn't really that much big depth either to match what the Celtics were doing. In the first half, yeah, the Bucs didn't play particularly great in the first half. There were a lot of turnovers, but they were only down five. And I was thinking, okay, you you played you didn't play great. You're only down five. Clean things up on offense, and you'll end up. You can take the lead and win this game. Like it's not. This is not as dire as what, how the Sixers game looked as, or some other games where they are trailing at halftime. It looked like at least maybe you can fight your way back in it. But the, yeah, the Celtics go nine to fourteen from three. That that game gets completely blown open. Jason Tatum finally has a good game against the Bucks. I think he had like thirty something points. Um, Mock has done a good job historically on Tatum today. That game was just not that game. And, you know, I think it was a kind of like between that and Marcus Smart hitting five or six threes. It, it just didn't go Milwaukee's way in the second half. And, yes, it was encouraging to see Sam Merrill go at one point. He was five of five at one point from three. That was good to know. 
Dante taking nine threes. I think he was trying to will the Bucks back into it by firing threes the second he had a green line. He was open. Maybe he was feeling himself from Wednesday's game, which you know what, Dante, I get it. But after like the Sixers, after the six three, maybe maybe try and cool it a bit. Um, you know, you don't have to try and shoot your way back into this game for the Bucks. Um, it was yeah, it was it was definitely Milwaukee's offense just looked more sloppy than. Um, Wednesday, and I think part of that was Giannis clearly didn't look completely right. Drew, I think he had banged knees at some point in the Wednesday game, so that kind of that might he might have felt the effects of that as well. It, it definitely felt as though between the combination of a lack of big to bring off the bench and Giannis not being up, Giannis and Drew not being at a hundred percent, it kind of limited Milwaukee, and it just led to a lot of sloppy turnovers, which. You know, sometimes that happens. It was just not the Bucks' night. You know, props to the Celtics. They hit the shots they needed to. They played well. All things considered, considered they had made a trade and, you know, they didn't have their full strength as well. It happens. But there were, yeah, Sam Merrill was encouraging. I think that's probably the silver lining out of that whole game is we had one player not. He, he looked good and Chris looked good and everyone else left more to be desired. Yeah, so I also did the same. I didn't watch it live, but I rewatched it the next day. Um, the first half was a rock fight. So like from both sides, it was not beautiful basketball. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, the Celtics, they were just free flowing because it was it was kind of besides Tatum it was pretty ugly for them as well. It was really that third quarter where it was like, okay, Dante, for whatever reason, is like, I'm going to be the three point guy that gets us like closes that small gap. And like he would miss and the Celtics would make a three on the other end. And then like Drew would come up and like he might miss something. And then the Celtics would come down and they'd make another three. And that like happened for like 10 possessions in a row. And as I was watching, I was like, okay, well, this is where the game was lost. Um, The two things that I would complain about or the two things that I would note are like, so we're missing Bobby Porter or missing PJ Tucker. And Brooke, for the most part, does not do the dunker spot thing. Um, I'm not even sure who like paying attention, watching the stars. I don't even know who runs the dunker spot normally in that sort of lineup, but when you're reliant upon the starters for the most part, and then like Pat, Bryn and Thanasis are you guys off the bench. Um, it's not the same dynamism as like a Bobby Portis who seems to really run the floor hard and make that like that scheme in particular work. And then if you're missing PJ Tucker, um, he hasn't really done a lot on offense, but at least he seems a little bit more dynamic or like a bigger body that you have to pay attention to. So missing those guys are definitely, it's going to set you back. The other thing I should note, um, Chris, I think he takes like eight shot attempts in the first half, which fine. So he goes five of eight, three or four from three. That's pretty good. Um, I think in the second half, it only takes like three more shots or something. Maybe it's a little bit more than that, but it, this is sort of like the other situation, like the shoe on the other foot. Okay. You have a really great, like you take over in the first, you know, relative you take 20 shots great and then you only get 11 up in the next one in a game where yes Giannis he goes perfect from the floor in the third quarter but as Kyle said he was clearly hobbled there was a possession where there was an offensive rebound uncontested and Giannis just didn't like try to go out after it he just let Jason Tatum run up and get it uncontested and so it's like okay Giannis is clearly hurting or he's just not the same right now. And so it's a situation like that where Chris ideally would not have Dante taking all the shots. And it's tough because in a game, I Chris doesn't seem like the type is you'd be able to tell Dante in the time I like, you need to stop shooting, and give me the ball. That doesn't exactly seem like his type of player, but 
Um, it would be ideal if Chris is like, let me, if you're going to take five threes, let me take the five threes. Cause I'm generally, I'm probably going to be a more reliable shot taker. So that would be the only thing is I complain about is lack of personnel, um, which is not much you could do about that between COVID and injury. Um, and then Chris probably not taking nearly enough shots for an offense that could, especially if it's going to be a rock fight, he's the guy who's going to be your rock fight King. So wear the crown, sir, put the crown on and get out there. Let's go. Yeah, and I think I I think they said on the ESPN broadcast this is the most points Tatum, Walker, Smart, and Brown have ever scored combined, which is kind of crazy to me. I guess part of that's availability, but it's also like, okay, well, if those four players go off for the most points ever, it's probably going to be tough to win. Kyle's right. Tatum Tatum was really was really good. He was making some crazy shots. Like even if he was missing a three, he would he was making all of his contested mid-range jumpers and then it's one of the few times we've seen him be able to do that against the bucks the other thing i should complain about really i mean it's it's crazy how much of an outlier it is how often Giannis ends up on the ground with dudes tangled up with his legs i don't know i i have to hope the bucks are like sending all this to the league office or doing something because it is compared to any other opponent. Giannis, when he's driving, yes, Giannis was prone, I think partially because he was hobbled. He, there was a lot of like silly plays. He wasn't planting and making the passes that he was earlier. But the number of times where he even does like a light drive and all of a sudden he's tangled up with three defenders on the ground, it's it's to a different level with Boston. We know why that is because of the certain personnel that Boston has. Um, but that doesn't make it any less annoying to watch. And, uh, you know, it, I'm sure that did not help his knee if he was ailing already to then end up on the ground like four or five times in the first half alone. Any concern from either of you about Giannis? Do we think it's just he was just kind of injured, hobbled these last two games, and that's why he just wasn't playing well at all? Yeah, I mean, considering last week when he was healthy, he was crushing it and doing everything. And we were talking, we were praising and saying everything he was doing, he seems to be doing half a second faster than he was prior. So I think. He wasn't fully healthy with his knee. Um, they tried giving him a day off to see if that would help. It didn't fully help. We'll see what happens on this West Coast trip, how much he's going to play then. But, yeah, I think it was just more the knee was not 100%. I'm looking here. Um, pretty interesting. So we're one in three now against the Celtics so far in the season. Um, and they've all been super duper close games. So uh, there was a one point game, a two point game, an eight point game, and a two point game. So, uh, oh, wait, Han, I'm looking at the wrong one. Sorry, we're one and two. So it's a one point game, two point game, five point game. I was reading the Nets instead of the Celtics. Um, again, I don't know if that's personnel um, necessarily. I'd have to look back at that first box score to see. And that was very early in the season. So I'm not even sure how much to take away from that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's. Uh, they're a tough team. They have like the lengthy personnel, Brad Stevens, as much as people like clowning on him, and he's probably not the Messiah. Um, they seem to be a team that generally knows how to play well against the Bucks, And that again, plays through this week. Um, and I'm not sure if we played in Magal at all the rest of the season, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see how, it, I don't think, I think that was the last game. So hopefully maybe we'll see in the playoffs. We'll see. I think Boston, because a lot of the core that they have, they've had for a while, it kind of works for them. And it, I mean, this is a team that kind of has the personnel to give Milwaukee fits. But, you know, this is also a team that everyone expected to be better and they've been underachieving and they've been a little bit fraudulent. And Danny Ainge, who was supposed to be the greatest GM of the history of the NBA, can't do anything with his assets and ends up with this roster 
that is completely underachieving with Pete Buttigieg not being the boy wonder that everyone thought. So you still have that, Boston. You may have won one game this week, but you were supposed to be this Eastern Conference dynasty, and it hasn't happened, and now you're at best fourth best team in the East. It's got to be sad. It's got to be sad. At best fourth, that is true, because right now they are grappling with the New York Knicks, who the Bucks faced in there. That'll be the final time they face the Knicks this season, and uh, and Bud did not want to do uh, – he really blew this one out. He took out Giannis, took out Chris, took out Drew, took out Dante. Bobby was already out. Hope that he's going to be okay. P.J. Tucker was out. I think that's everyone. Um, and so we were left with a skeleton crew of eight players. Thanasis – 23 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Jordan Ward, 21 points, 10 rebounds. I don't know, Riley, you sat through this game. A lot of Bucks fans sat through this game. I think they'll all remember it for a long time. Mm-hmm. What uh, what really stuck out to you from this one? Um, so Axel Tupan, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, he should never see the court <laughs> ever. If, if we're playing him, I mean, no disrespect, Axel, you could obviously just absolutely decimate me if I tried to one-on-one you, but as an NBA player, there's not a lot he's bringing to the floor. Um, so there's a lot of people coming out of this game, like, oh, this is evidence that the rookie should play more. And I don't think that's wrong. They def- I don't think they should be having any sort of like actual regular rotational role. But it is a little strange that throughout, given the length of the season, I know we're prioritizing trying to get the playoff rotation playing well together. But even like once every couple of weeks, be like, okay, uh, Pat or whoever, you have the night off, Jordan, you're going to get like 10, 10 to 15 minutes maybe and just see how it works. Um and so, like, Jordan Wara, he cannot dribble for the life of him. It was horrendous. He can get his shot off in, like, a step back. Um, he's very good in, like, a tight space if he's going to just create a shot. But, like, doing anything beyond that, it's just not a good-looking situation. But for guys who didn't play a lot of the season to come in and, you know, for Wara, he goes 4-8 from 3. Sam Merrill, he only goes 2-7, but he looked, like, decent as, like, a the lead guard, I guess. Um I don't know, it was like bizarro bucks. Thanasis having a double double. That's again another situation where I think I just have to shut up about Thanasis because somehow we fed him enough minutes where he's like a semi competent. I wouldn't say he's like a really plus member of the rotation, but I guess if you need him to play point guard minutes against the New York Knicks, he's ready to rock and roll. So it's just just a strange game. Like I said, after immediately after I said, everybody had a good time. Let's burn the tape. Just burn the tape. So you don't need to remember this game whatsoever. Yeah. This felt like a summer league game where not even like NBA summer league, like high school summer league where you have your varsity team, but half of them play baseball. So they can't make it. So you literally have like six or seven dudes and you call up one or two of like the JV or freshman just to fill out a bench. And it's just, those guys are going to go and they're going to do it. I've been in those games. It's it's both fun and exhausting because you're the only like there's no time for a break. That's what this game really was. I mean, there's not much you can really take away from it. Yes, Jordan Wara can create his own shot, which is impressive because of his lack of, you know, explosive dribbling like Dante for all of his faults. He can at least dribble to get himself to the hoop. He just can't finish at the hoop. I feel like with war, he just cannot get to the hoop with his dribble. He can get a step back and he can hit a three. Obviously, he's a rookie. He's still developing. He's a second-round pick, so I don't know what more we can expect out of him. Sam Merrill, you know, he's being forced into a lead guard position that he's probably not used to doing. 
he does okay. You know, Thanasis, but I, I will say, if Thanasis had 10% more talent, he could be a legit NBA rotation player. And I think if his last name wasn't Adetokounmpo, we would be less critical of him. I think we would at least be like, yeah, we should give this guy more of a chance. It's just that his last name makes it look worse for him. So I think there's also that aspect as well. Um, trying to think who else. Diakite, he came in. He did some cool things. He had a cool uh, you know, turnaround jumper early in the game. But this was one of those games where the expectations were so low that we were happy regardless You know, if they win. Look at this like ragtag group of basically G League dudes able to get a win against a decent Knicks team that who was missing Julius Randle, but it was still like they still had Derrick Rose, they still had Tosh Gibson, they still had RJ Barrett, they still had like a lot of their players. We were like, yeah, good for them, but they lost, and we're all like, okay, that was fun, and yeah, we we don't need to discuss it any further. I don't think this should be an indicator that Wara and Merrill need to necessarily be shoehorned into the rotation. But I think it at least shows that if we need them to, they they could potentially do the job. I'm it's not a guarantee they'll do well, but we at least can see they're at least decent enough where if they have to play, it's not the end of the world. That's kind of where I'm at with them. It's like with all of them besides two pain, it's like if you have to play okay, like clearly there's something going on where you're playing, but we'll just go with it and you get ten minutes and we'll call it good. I, I think my one main takeaway about the rotation is like, so the, the in the aftermath is we're recording Sunday morning. The aftermath is you have the Bucks Twitter people are like, clearly Jordan needs to play 30 to 35 minutes. And then you have like the Bucks like stats people in the, in the Twitter sphere who are like doing like the ironically like, oh yeah, now we should, we should give Giannis less minutes for Jordan Wara. I think as with all things, there is a balance to this. Um, I think it would be reasonable to say these guys clearly have a little bit of talent. Maybe we could find them a couple of minutes every once in a while. I think that's a probably the middle line we can try and find. I, I just think the concern of um, the way that I think about it is how many rookies or how many young players come into the league never pl- like either because they're not, maybe they're not proving it in practice. Maybe they're just seeing something and they're like, oh, he just doesn't have it. Uh, That would seem to go against the grain of what we saw last night where they have flashes. But when I think of it, it's like, think of like a DJ Wilson. So he never plays. So his only chance to prove himself is is in practice or you hope he comes in after an off season. And then suddenly the coaching staff is going to give them minutes. I think the best way you're going to develop or figure out what you have is giving these guys even a couple of minutes with regular rotation guys. And so... Um, I understand the frustration from one side who is like, I can't believe we're not playing them at all because it's a long season. And I also understand the other side saying they're not good enough to like be regular parts of the rotation. But if you want to keep developing them, I'm not sure if just all in practice is the way to do it. it, it I don't know. It, this is like the hard thing about, especially for second round guys who are very limited in what they do. I just don't know what the middle ground is, but I think we can find it without wanting to like, kill each other over it. I'm not sure if Jordan War and Sam Merrill, the guys worth uh, killing each other over. I will, I will say this. It's just more, it's tough to find the minutes at whose expense. So like, yes, we can play Sam Merrill more minutes. Whose minutes are you taking? Are you taking Dante's? Maybe, but if you're going to take it from Dante, just give it to Bryn Forbes, who's playing really well. I think Sam Merrill's going to pretty much take Bryn Forbes' role next year when Bryn Forbes gets paid a buck, a lot of money. 
Pat Connaughton, as much as we wanted to ride Pat Connaughton, he has played well this year. Like Pat Connaughton is doing exactly what we are asking and he's doing it well. We can't just take away minutes from Pat just because we don't like him as either a person or because of past experience. Like it's hard to find who you're going to give these minutes for, you know, with Diakite, what position is he really like? We keep saying that let's throw him at center. He's not that big of a center. Like, and I, I said this earlier, the people you can't scream. We should have given Tory Craig minutes before he got traded, but also say we need to give Diakite minutes. Like those two play pretty much. They're kind of similar in terms of athletic build and profile and the position they play. You can't have both. You had to have gone one or the other. And I think that's kind of the tough part is it's kind of hard to find these minutes. Like you said, Riley, yeah, maybe one person gets a night off and you give it to them. But it's not as simple as give Wara, Merrill, Diakite all these minutes and take it away from Forbes, Dante, Pat. Like the only person you can think of is Thanasis. And as much as we... We know Thanasis is not a good player, but he gives it his all. Like, there's a reason why Thanasis continues to get submitted. Because when he's out there, God damn it, he tries. Like, the Celtics game, when he hit that jumper right before the end of the third quarter, he's over there pumping the crowd. Sometimes you need a dude like that. Like, it, it, there's a reason why he keeps getting play time. It's not because he's good. It's because he's giving it his all. And at least you know that what you're seeing, you're going to get what you see. So it's just kind of tough where it's like, you got to also find out whose minutes do we take away and it doesn't make sense to take it away just because we want to see them play. I have not gotten to watch this game yet in all, in all honesty, I will watch it later. And so I'm, I'm just was interested looking at the, the box score. I mean, personally on this, on this particular argument, I, this team is almost incredibly new entirely to one another. So I think they need as many minutes as possible together. They still barely learned how to switch like 10 they're like a new fawn with switching like they just learned how to do that 10 games ago and i don't particularly want to give sam merrill or jordan war a few minutes i have i have found any time i've watched jordan war his defense is absolutely atrocious I, I don't think he has any idea what he's doing out there which is fine and i didn't watch the Knicks game so i watched that but was there was there anything from him in particular because he's kind of he has felt like the name that like besides diakite but war has seemed like the one who's like Sam Merrill's getting minutes before Wara, but he seems kind of intriguing. Was there anything actually like tangible, specific that stuck out from Wara's game in this one? I have found him to be a little bit of a chucker in the few minutes I've seen him, but uh-huh. that dude, that dude loves his usage rate. That's the thing is he's definitely so credit to him. This is probably the last minutes he's going to see all season, so he's like, I'm going to go all out for this. Like, I'm not going to get too mad at him like that. When the ball touches his hands. It's not leaving his hands unless it's going up to the basket. That's pretty much the situation. Like, <laughs> he's he's not good at dribbling. He's not good at trying to pass to teammates. He, he does, like, his step-back jumper is a lot of fun, and that's, like, essentially the reason you watch him out there. But I'm not sure if he's good. And here's the other thing about the team, right? We have everybody and their sister, and I understand why, being like, we need to win right now. We're competing right now. And you have to then be like, okay, well, if we're trying to win right now, we're going to – trust me, these guys who are like somewhat established veterans are probably going to be better, like higher chance of us working in the playoffs than having Jordan war out there. <laughs> um, yeah, th- that's, that's the difficulty. So it's a long season. I get why people want to see it, but Jordan war. Yeah. Not good on defense last night. They literally played zone all 48 minutes. So there is nothing to learn about that. Besides the fact <laughs> that Brent Forbes has no idea how to play a zone Credit to him. I don't know how to do that either. So I get it. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, he's not, war, war, yeah, war is not good on defense. He, he's very like ball is sticky in his hands. He loves to use his rate. He chucks. Um, sometimes it works. It's a lot of fun when it works. Like every chucker that's ever played NBA basketball, it's a lot of fun when they're going. It's like, oh, these crazy shots are falling. If it's not falling, he he's a massive drop off on both ends of the floor. <laughs> and that's fine because he's a rookie. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think... You don't need to, again, we don't need to rip each other's throats out over Jordan Wara. It'd be great if he was like a Brogdon level, like ready to go stud who could like run an offense, but he's a wing who should be catching and shooting and that's it. And if that's going to be his role, we have established NBA guys on the team who have shown already this season that they can do that and are somewhat more reliable on both ends. So don't get too caught up in the hype, but you can still believe I'm not saying Jordan Wara can't be a good player. I'm just saying this is probably not the time and regular rotation minutes are not going to be the way this season that he's going to prove himself. Yeah, I I, I am a big Jordan War person, but he definitely has a lot of flaws as a rookie that is expected for a second round rookie who did not get a summer league, who did not get training camp or at least an extended one. Like it's clearly there, but the things that we know, he knows his spots. He knows what he can do on offense and he's going to do it which is a good thing because I think you need kind of similar with Bobby Portis where you know where Bobby Portis is going to get the ball. He's going to find his place. He's going to find a shot and take it. It's kind of similar with Jordan War. Like he knows where his shots are and he's going to take it. And that's fine. That's, you know, again, your second round rookie, go ahead. You're we're playing the Knicks. You have no expectations in this game. Like we're not asking you to try and play within the offense. It's literally you're available. So go do it. So I think that's the thing with Jordan War. It's fine. I still have hope in him. Maybe he'll be a little bit more efficient or he'll pick his spots a little bit more carefully. But he knows, at least he knows where his spots are. It's just tough because he doesn't have the shooting ability like Sam Merrill. So, like, at least with Sam Merrill, it's like you can throw him out there. If he hits a couple shots, great. If he doesn't, you take him out. You don't put him back in. It's kind of tough with Jordan War because he doesn't necessarily have that shooting ability. And what he needs to get a shot is to have the ball in his hands. And when Giannis and Chris and Drew and Dante even are there, it's going to be a lot harder to get those opportunities. This is yeah. this is the final war point because we're talking way too much about the rookies right now. It was a fun <laughs> game. It's like, watch it if you want like zany basketball. That's what it's all about. So the long season is for. I remember very early season. It was weird because Wara was like not part of the rotation, but he got a couple of minutes with like some of the, either the bench guys or even like Giannis sometimes. And there were clearly four other much better NBA players out there. And like, we would be slightly behind in Jordan Wara. He would like do a step back three and he made it. But I remember Marcus Johnson being like, you better pray you make that shot or, you, <laughs> or you're immediately getting pulled off the floor. And I'm sure Boonholzer, he's like, all right, this is probably not what we're looking for from like our 10th bench guy. Um, and maybe Wara would be like, he seems like a decent shooter. Maybe he'd great in like the catch and shoot role. But like I said, we have other guys who can do the catch. Bryn Forbes has been excellent from catch and shoot. Like from three, he's a lot quicker. Pat even, I mean, credit to him. He's been really good from three in his role, and I think he plays better on defense. And so, it, again, fine balance and everything. War is not a bus. He's not a, uh, you know, he's not the best player from the draft either, and there is a middle ground between those two points. I will say one last thing. Seeing Knicks fans celebrate a win, it was kind of refreshing to see, like, because they were like, we wish it wasn't that close. It was a little stressful, but you won, and, we're, and they were all happy. There was, it was a complete shift where on Wednesday, Bucks fans were like, 
I cannot believe we blew this lead. This team is garbage. This team can't do shit, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I kind of miss those times where you could just be happy you won, regardless of the situation. Knicks fans were all happy. They didn't care. They were shameless in their happiness. And I was like, I kind of miss that at times. Fuck Twitter on Wednesday. It was just like, nope, this team is, this team ain't shit. We're not going to win a title. It's like, they just won the game. Like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can be a little critical and say, don't do this again. Like, don't make this a habit. But damn, they were just, you, I, I don't remember, like, you could have jumped on Twitter on Wednesday night after the game and saw how Bucks Twitter reacted, and you would not have guessed they won the damn game. That is, that was a little annoying. And then you look at Nick's Twitter, they're just shameless. It was like, I'm kind of jealous of that. That does sound pleasant. My advice, find the joy where you can. So if you're a big Wara stan, Merrill stan. Don't make a Twitter account, though. Please don't do that. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't. There are no, there's no Wara season. There's no Tupane season. All right, we've had enough of that. But hopefully you enjoyed that Knicks game. you know that's the struggle with no G League this year we don't really get to or the G League already being done we don't really get to see these guys put up numbers Jordan Moore in a summer league environment would be fantastic I think we'd get Rashad Vaughn level you know Mm -hmm. historical numbers which would be great Mm -hmm. so anyway hopefully maybe we'll see him work in a little bit more this season but hopefully everyone who wanted to see more of them enjoyed that next game Um, All right, let's move on let's talk a little bit about the trade deadline came and went Bucks stayed quiet pretty much as expected they didn't have a whole lot of assets to move around let's talk about the eastern conference as a whole though so big move for the sixers big in air quotes was uh, acquiring george hill for tony bradley two second rounders uh and then the celtics get evan fournier and also trade daniel tice for mo wagner the toronto raptors trade norman powell to the trailblazers Big move, obviously, is that they don't trade Kyle Lowry to any of the contenders. The Heat and Sixers were rumored, and they don't get him. And then Miami, their moves were they get Nemanja Bielitsa and Victor Oladipo. Uh, for Victor Oladipo was for both of those for basically nothing. Um, they had to trade Kelly Olynyk and a potential pick swap that they won't, that the Rockets won't do. So those are the moves. And then the Nets, I saw, added LaMarcus Aldridge as a buyout candidate. So they keep kind of gearing up with the old, you know, with the old folks. So I don't know. Riley, trade deadline came and went. How do you feel about it from a Bucks perspective in terms of, of the Eastern Conference in particular? So, like, I understand that people would be annoyed. So for the Bucks, not surprised they didn't do anything because we have essentially nothing to give to anybody unless somebody was really infatuated with, like, I'm looking at the roster. There's not even anybody who would like we would trade who's not already part of the rotation. And so not surprising. We are just going to wait for the buyout season guys. Um, I don't know. I, I, I understand why people would be like, Oh, that kind of sucks for us that Miami got Victor Oladipo. I've at this season, I haven't really watched like any other basketball games or whatsoever for any other team. So I can't say where Victor Oladipo is. I think the fundamentals of each contending team that we come up against have not radically changed a lot of these as is the case with trade deadline season or marginal moves um like for the nets you're still gonna have to get through harden kd and Kyrie. like that's gonna be no matter who they added that was gonna be the three you're gonna have to get through miami they still have eric spolstra and they're gonna have like the confidence and some of the personnel from last season um the with the sixers joel Embiid once he returns assuming depending on how long it takes him to get back into it. He's been super excellent this season, and he's just based on his physicality. He's a hard guy to handle. And so I don't think – I feel no more confident and no less confident in the Bucs. 
Um, it didn't help that they had like their worst week in a long time or in like a, a month or so uh, right after the trade deadline. But I think we need to all recall how good like the, all the cylinders they were firing on just a week ago. Um, and that's going to be the thing that will keep me confident of. I didn't pencil us in as an Eastern Conference Finals or Finals contender in the first place. Um, we seem to be hitting a stride and all these other teams, marginal moves aside, we might even add a bio guy or two that are enough to help get us over the hump as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't too freaked out about any of it. Um, yeah. and it, did, are people in Philadelphia, did they, everybody rush out on the streets once the George Hill news came across the line or how are people reacting? Um, I think people are a little mixed because I think some <laughs> people wanted, might've wanted Kyle Lowry and no, going all in, but I think there's on. some people, I think there's some people who are like, wow, what a savvy mood by Maury. You know, we keep all of our assets. Of course we keep Maxi because honestly, I haven't watched many Sixers game. I have no idea how good he is. Like, I'm sure he's just going to be okay. Like mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like people are fetishizing this like first round pick who's like, I don't know, probably like a Dante level player or whatever, which is fine that we can all, we fetishize Dante. Um, but I don't know. I think they're like, wow, we got a ball handler for nothing. And I'm, I'm mostly annoyed that they got George Hill, who I really like and who does not seem super pleased with the Bucks organization after the last off season. And I, mm-hmm. I don't really want to have to deal with that um, in particular, that storyline in particular. Um, I think it's cool that he'll be in Philadelphia though. I mean, he's an awesome guy. I think he'll be great for the, Great for around here, but no, no, no piling into streets, no, no rioting, no looting. Everything's all good out here. No, no front office in the league has a higher approval rate, no matter what they do, than the Philadelphia 76ers. And again, this goes back to the persecution complex. Every move has to be spun into the greatest move that's ever happened of all time, you know? And I, there are many front offices that wish they had that kind of job security. You could be total bums, but as long as Joel Embiid is around, the process still lives. So good for you guys, Sixers fans. I'm, I'm happy for you guys. Yeah, I guess with all these trades, all it, I was very – everyone's freaking out about Kyle Lowry getting traded and Kyle Lowry going to the Heat or the Sixers or whatever. And I was like, I was completely chill the whole day. It was kind of funny because everyone's freaking out about it. I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. So why Kyle, the Sixers get Kyle Lowry? Is that because of your disbelief in Kyle Lowry or your belief in the Bucks? It was more if the Sixers were going to get Kyle Lowry, it was going to cost them a lot. So even if they were to pull it off, I was going with the expectation that they would have given up too much for him. I think Kyle Lowry is a solid player. I think him go him going anywhere would have been good for that particular team. But I was not too concerned because I felt like the price would have been too high to justify trading for him. So it was that's kind of my thoughts on it. If he had gone to Miami, okay, whatever. Miami then would have just been the fourth best team in the East. Like all this trade deadline did was entrench the Bucks as at least top three in the Eastern Conference. However order you want to put them in, that's fine. But they were they're definitely the top three in the East. It's Milwaukee, it's Philly, and it's Brooklyn. That's it. I kind of laugh at the Celtics because they had that huge trade player exception from Gordon Hayward and they wasted it on Evan Fournier. Okay, if that's what you want to do, Danny Ainge, you do that. I've already slandered that man enough. I don't need to do it more. Miami getting Victor Oladipo. I mean, they got him for cheap, so smart move on their part. It's Oladipo has wanted to be in Miami for the last like year and everyone knows it. So if they're able to get him for cheap and see how it works out, they could probably get him a lower-ish extension. Great. The Nets... Acquiring a bunch of dudes right now, you know, if this was 2015 16, this team would have been 
the greatest team in the history of the planet. But LaMarcus Aldridge is old and not that great. Blake Griffin might have swindled and lied his way out of Detroit. He looked decently competent against the Pistons just from highlights that I saw. But I don't know. Like I was. It worked out well for Milwaukee that their opposition did not significantly improve. You know, like Boston not getting Aaron Gordon. That's a good thing. Philly not getting Kyle Lowry. I think that that's kind of a good thing. I fear the George Hill revenge series, but no, I, th- I think Milwaukee it, Milwaukee got out of it in as good of a position as they could have been and still are a top three team in the East. And now it's just a matter of will Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philly maybe intentionally try and avoid a particular seed so they can get an easier first-round opponent? Because I feel like Brooklyn, they'll feel confident they can beat whoever. So do they just decide we don't want to deal with, say, Miami as an eight seed and we'd rather deal with the Knicks or Hornets or whoever? Do the Bucks decide we don't want to deal with Miami in round two or Philly in round two, so let's get that number one seed? Like, I guess there's it's going to be interesting to see how those three teams approach the playoff seeding. The thing that's going to make that difficult is the playoff tournaments. Uh, and I'm not sure if they're one-off games to see oh, who yeah, gets in are. through seven and ten. Um, but when you introduce that level of like, it, it, there's a possibility that, I mean, because I think Boston's in the seventh seed now, there's still a lot of season left, but there's a possibility like, the Celtics in Miami could have a really bad night and all of a sudden they're out of the playoffs completely and it's a moot point. Um, but I think overall, fundamentally, the Bucks have enough top-line talent between Giannis, Chris, and Drew um, to be able to compete against any of the teams. It's going to come down to will they actually do it. Um, we've seen two years in a row now that they haven't been able to for whatever reason. Part of that is having Eric as well. Um, so maybe Drew's enough and also a Boonholzer. So it, it, those, those again, the fundamentals for the other teams didn't change. The fundamentals for us did not change. Um, and, I, and I'm comfortable with that because I think we've seen a lot of promise, especially very recently, not this past week, but like the weeks prior to that, to say we have the possibility of playing at a really high level. Um, it'll just be a matter of can they pull that into the playoffs and that's the case for literally every team. So again, I'm not panicking about it. Yeah. And one last thing with the, I know Riley mentioned the playing games. That's going to get really interesting because pretty much every team four through, I think like 11 are only separated by five games. One of them are the Hornets. Are they still going to be as good without LaMelo ball? I don't know. Are the Knicks legit? Maybe the Hawks are in playoff contention. The Celtics are still hovering around. Miami's hovering around. Pacers, Bulls, made, the Bulls made a few moves so they can play themselves into it. The Raptors are like pretty much like from the Raptors up to the Hornets. We There's going to be a lot of movement, so it will be interesting to see how that turns out for them. Yeah, we, we should. And we should mention the divisional big move for the divisional foe. The Chicago Bulls acquired Nikola Vucevic. Make a big trade there, big splashy there, splashy trade there. Pair him with uh, <laughs> Lori Markinen, Lori Markinen, and uh, Zach Levine. Sorry, I'm just seeing Riley. I mostly wanted to introduce this because I feel like Riley um, has a particular amount of disdain for the Bulls, and I just wanted to let him comment on their moves. It's just, it's sad, really. You know, this is where the Bucks were years ago. Who are we? We're going to take everybody else's like decent player. Nikola Vucevic is going to show up in Chicago. And all of a sudden, he's going to be maybe one of the worst players on the planet because that's the kind of streak the Bulls are on right now. And it's nothing personal against you, Nicola. You're, you seem like a good guy. You put in the time in Orlando. Respect. But you're a part of the Bulls now. And you know what the Bulls are? 
they're a sorry ass team and they shouldn't even exist. How do you as a franchise have Michael Jordan for that many years and you're this sorry of an excuse for a franchise? I'm tired of dealing with it. They had the Derrick Rose years and they got nothing out of that. They got a fake MVP award and that's all they have to show for the past 20 years. <laughs> Arguably, they have, I don't want to get too crazy, but I'm going to get crazy. They've had a worse 21st century than us. If you were to put, stack it up from 2000 until today, what have the Bulls done? Tell me one thing the Bulls have done. Nothing. That's what they've done. And I'm tired of all those Bulls fans coming up to the Bradley Center. And now it's the shoe is on the other foot. And the longer they stay down there, the better for us. And that's that's the kind of streak they're in right now. And everybody was like, the Bulls are really smart here. No, they weren't. They're the Bulls. What do you mean they were smart? They're not. They turned it a lot for him. That was not a smart move. <laughs> and, and they had, well, okay, who <laughs> was Boylan? They had Boylan come back not just one season, but another season too. When you do that, you have to seriously call into question. And I don't think Garpax is in control. I don't even know who their front office is anymore, but you can't get rid of that stink over one off season. You can't do that. There's going to be some growing pains, and this is all part of it. And so the Bulls are irrelevant, and it's going to really hurt when they knock us out in the first round later this year. So I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be or Nikola Vucevic putting up 45 and 20 on us throughout the first round, and we're just, we just get bounced. So I'm looking forward to that, too. Oh, That's oh. my Bulls take for Thanks this for Sunday, that, Riley. Yeah, wow, you're welcome. Solid. Thanks for setting it up. Ooh. All right. Anyone on the buyout market you want the Bucks to get? We got Austin Rivers. We got an Austin Rivers. We got uh, maybe an Otto Porter, uh, Jeff Teague, Wayne Ellington. Doesn't sound like he'll get bought out. Gorgie Jane, Kelly Olenek. Any of the names that people have bandied about excite you, interest you, feel like something that would be worthwhile for the Bucks to explore and or get? Get a ball handler. I guess Jeff Teague and Austin Rivers will be sufficient because they're capable ball handlers and the Bucks don't have a competent second one after drew holiday but i don't know like half of these guys like you know their names because they like maybe were okay at one point but they're washed as fuck because they're, <laughs> that's why they're on the buyout market like clearly not good enough if you're getting bought out like you're not good enough that the team's like yeah we're gonna at least keep you around because you might provide us something no like you're clearly just washed as fuck like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing worth a damn that's why you're out here trying to ring chase like I don't know. Like, Jeff Teague, are we still going to try and do this? We've been chasing Jeff Teague. It's like goddamn Tom and Jerry. Like, you never – or Wiley Coyote. We've been chasing this bastard for, like, 15 years, and we still haven't gotten him. Why are we going to wait until he's able to just hobble his way up and down a court? Austin Rivers, we really want to – like, we've been saying no assholes, but, like, it's one thing to have an asshole on the court who plays hard. We're getting Austin Rivers. Like, nothing about that guy screams, yes, I trust this guy in the postseason with Drew Holiday sitting on the bench. Like – Kelly Olenek sucks. Like, he's just, if he was even five inches short, he wouldn't be in the league. He's an ugly-ass dude that can't play. <laughs> Gorgie Yang, I swear, is just here collecting paychecks for not doing anything since he got his big-ass contract for the Timberwolves. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I don't get a ball handler. Fine. I guess I'll deal with it. But we should not. Like, this is what we're at. This is where we're at. We have to hope that one of these washed-ass dudes is going to be competent and based off of the history of the buyout market no when was the last buyout person that actually did something good for their team marvin williams before yeah, marvin the pandemic hit yeah uh so marvin williams who then decided literally halfway through in the, the game, in the game, game. 
<laughs> let me draft my statement, send it to my yeah, agent yeah. while I'm sitting on the bench. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, no, like, it's buyout. Like, th- there's not – this is not a – I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I have never seen in the history of the NBA a buyout dude being the significant change for a team winning a championship or even getting to the finals. Um, I guess Jerry so Lynn's out there. Like, I don't know. Like, what is he doing? He came from, he was in, I think he was in Taiwan for a little bit there. I, so I agree largely with your observation that most of these guys are going to be watched. If it's not Jeff Teague, I don't know what we're doing because <laughs> he's he's the definition of a bud guy. How many times, did, how many seasons did they share together? Budenholzer loves bringing his guys. I have to imagine if it's going to be equal offers from everybody, Boonholz is going to be like, I'm clearly going to pay, play you 25 to 30 minutes a night, so come here. So I think it's going to probably be Jeff Teague. And to, to Jeff Teague's credit, he's shooting 46% from three. We could use more dudes who are shooting really unsustainable <laughs> percentages from three. Um, I don't feel strongly about literally anybody else. If Otto Porter got bought out, he'd be interesting just because he's 27. And like I think he's getting bought out because he's making way, again, the Bulls strike again, paying a guy way too much just because to waste some time. Um, he's getting paid way too much for what he does. So if you add a 27 year old guy and he's like in a very reduced role, decent, he kind of like falls into your timeline of competing. So maybe that's like an easy get him and like see maybe after the season. Um, but I, I have to assume it's going to be Jeff Teague. It, it's the only one though. There was like some random Twitter people who like got a lot of retweets who were saying, I'm hearing it's going to be Austin rivers to the bucks in the buyout market. So I don't know how to feel about Austin Rivers either. Is he a competent ball handler? If we're looking for a ball handler, I just I don't know. All the dude does is shoot. Like that's yeah. all we've done Austin Rivers to do is shoot the ball. And like, we have to just give Jordan War the back a point guard and yeah. hope for the best. Like goddamn, yeah. we have plenty of dudes Please coming off the bench who are. Please don't give Bora, just Mr. Bud. Please don't yeah. do that. <laughs> we have plenty of guys coming off the bench who love to get shots up. So uh, if Jeff Teague wants to come in and he wants to just pass the ball around a little bit, wonderful. Welcome to the squad, Jeff. It's good to finally have you after all these years. So I, I have to assume it's him. I have to I assume. mean, based off of history, it took us five years to finally get Bobby Portis. Like, maybe <laughs> maybe it'll be 15 years to get Jeff Teague. I keep saying 15. I don't know how, how long it's been. It's been at least 10 years. Any concern that he would – I don't know whose minutes he – I'm trying to think like whose minutes he would take away from that we would rather be who seeing. Who cares at this point? They just need a ball handler to call on. I don't – who cares? I think <laughs> just get I him think on the that, roster just so he's there. Yeah, yeah. That makes it, it, would be, it would be a very much like – so the DJ Augustine, the idea with him was like, okay, you're going to be like the dynamo around which the bench sort of rolls when we don't – you're going to be like the change of pace guy. I think a Jeff Teague, his role would be similar, maybe even more reduced um, if Budenholzer feels confident enough that the other like star guys are going to be able to – handle the ball essentially so it would be a very limited role and it would be again if we're like oh we'll kind of be looking for the postseason jeff here's some minutes to try and like get some of the bench guys involved or whatever or if you don't want like chris to do all the initiation or whatever so whoever we get like any buyout guy it's going to be a very limited role that they have um i don't know if it would be like some pat minutes or like some dante minutes or who but it would not be a big role he would have here i don't think yeah my only thing, I don't know how they are defensively. I think they're probably both poor. I do, I like, I think Austin Rivers is a little taller, maybe, which I kind of like. I would kind of like that in terms of maybe not having to do any of the DJ Augustine level hedging on pick and roll coverage when they're in the game. So yeah. that would be my only note. But I think, I think Kyle's summary summarized it best. So just revert back to that if you want to know how we feel about the buyout guys. 
All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side of this, we'll do our miscellaneous and close it out. All right, we're back. Rapid fire, Kyle. All right. So the first question I have is, what was your favorite intramural or rec league sport to play? So I've never really done any of those things. There was a short period my sophomore year of college where I would go um, with this one French exchange student to the like open gym on the U's campus. And my my greatest athletic moment was doing a chase down block on a dude. And I swatted that ball so far off the court. It was crazy. I, I didn't flex because I was like a still chubby, like out of shape guy, but I was like, that was probably the greatest athletic moment I've ever had. And it's true. That is the greatest athletic moment. So basketball, um, even though I'm bad at it, it would probably be my top rec league sport. Yeah. I rarely played rec league stuff either, but uh, I would say for the most part, soccer was mine. I played most of the time in high school and a little bit in college. So I think mine was kickball. I, I liked volleyball because I always won, but I was also super competitive, so it wasn't as fun. Kickball for me. It was very low-key. It was very relaxed. So that's what I have. Second question. You could tour with one band or musician for, let's say, three months. You're going on their tour. Who are you going with? Am I performing or am I just following No, them? You're, you're literally just hanging out. You're, just, you're, you're a groupie. Man, that's a good question. Adam, do you have anybody off the top of your head? I would really like to hang out with Carly Rae Jepsen for three months of her tour. The shows are a lot of fun. The songs are catchy. And uh, she seems like a delightful person. So, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd chill with her for a couple months. I'd like to go to as many Lady Gaga shows because I've never seen. I'm sure she puts on a performance. Um, I have no idea what kind of individual she is. I have no idea. Like her music's pretty decent. And so I've never been to like a concert like that where it's like the pyrotechnics and the design and everything. It's just that's half the reason why you're there. Um, So maybe just to see the craziness that they would do at different arenas would be my go-to. I was thinking, at first I was thinking maybe Ed Sheeran because I feel like it would be very low-key and just like you sit there and just drink half the time. Like you're just going to drink a bunch of beer and not do much. So that would be kind of cool. But I think BTS, like that, the K-pop fans, like they go mm-hmm. crazy. It would just be, just to watch that all happen would be kind of, it would be an experience. So I'm going to go with BTS because that would be interesting just because I also don't know anything about like Korean culture or anything. So it'd be cool to learn something new. All right. What was your favorite game to play at a carnival or a fair? Uh, like every, like every good basketball fan, Papa shot had to be the one like the, all right, make this shot and you'll get a stuffed snake or whatever the hell. Uh, so I, I was definitely into that again, awful at it, but it's the only one I was like, I have of all these games, a halfway decent chance of maybe like accidentally getting the shot. in. so probably one of those. I've lost a lot of money at fairs. I would show cattle at my County fair every year. So I would also then go <laughs> play the games and, uh, yeah. I would play the stupid throw the ring on top of the bottle, even mm-hmm. though the neck is rigged and it's basically impossible to do it. So mm-hmm. I played way too much of that. And that's probably what I would still play now. Cause some of the prizes were huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those yeah. so stuffed toys were huge. So anyway, I would play that. Yeah. I think mine would be like throwing ah. a dart at the balloon. I, I think that like you're trying oh, to get like, yeah. a matching mm-hmm. one. I think th- that would be my choice. Mm-hmm. I never won, uh, but it was always just fun throwing darts. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then the last question I got, what is your favorite trashy reality show or HGTV show, whatever? What is your favorite one? I'm not sure if it's trashy, but I really like Top Chef as a reality. I'm not that sure count, if that will count. count it. We'll count it. Yeah, that's, that's like my reality show I really like to watch. I like watching uh, House Hunters International because that way I can I can stake out who the enemies of the people are. Who are like, I don't know if I want to go for this 5.5 million Moroccan beachside house. It doesn't have enough sp- enough light, sunlight on the north side of the building. So I was like, hey, man, I would keep it on the DL if I were you. You already got a lot of money. Let's. You don't need to have the HGTV crew with you in Morocco to figure out where your your beachside bungalow is going to be at. Let, that's probably. But it is like, wow, that's a whole different world, huh? Just just doing that. Okay, sounds good. So I like watching that for various reasons. I. I am going to say either Chopped. I'm going to go with Chopped just because it's like, all right, here's the crap you have to make. Make it. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And it's kind of cool watching them try and put it all together. And then they give it to the judges. The judge is like, this is trash. What are you doing? Like, why would you (laughs) feed me this filth? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I, you literally gave me a basket of crap that I don't even know what to make with it. Like, what do you expect? So for me, it's Chopped. It was one of those where I could put it on, like, put it on the background. It was great. So. That, those are the rapid fire questions I have. That's fun. Those were good. All right, film review. Well, we've done High School Musical one. We did High School Musical two. It's only right to end the trilogy with High School Musical three. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> the magic, the magic has finally worn off by the number music three. Music is not <laughs> as good. The story is just dumb. Like. They really, uh, you could tell they just phoned it in. And, like, by this point, all the cast are, like, relatively famous by now. Like, Zac Efron is a star. Like, Vanessa Hudgens is still famous. Like, Ashley Tisdale is famous. Like, all of them are clearly too big for this. They've already established their careers. They've already taken that next step. And it's weird because they're still trying to look like high schoolers, and now they're at least in their mid-20s at this point. So it's like you're not <laughs> fooling anyone. It, it it is rough. Um, yeah, it's just not as good. I give it a four. The music there was not that many bangers for music. The story, as always, is dumb as hell. <laughs> it, it just it it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Can you do just really quick spoilers? How does it end? Basically, so they're like all trying to figure out like what they're gonna do for college, and like Gabriella goes to Stanford early, so she misses prom. Of course. So that was like one of the big conflicts was she was like, I don't know if I should like go do this. And she eventually does. And Troy's heartbroken. Troy's trying to decide where he wants to go to school um, because obviously he, everyone goes. Everyone says go to the University of Albuquerque, which sounds like the worst possible thing you could do as a college student. <laughs> <laughs> you're setting yourself up for major failure in life if you're going. No, no disrespect. Let me stay but... in my hometown and go to the university and play basketball just like my dad did. So uh-huh. then Troy's having a dilemma there and he doesn't know what to do. And then there's like everyone else is trying to – I think like three of the other ones are trying to compete for like a Juilliard scholarship. And that's pretty much the story. They're all just trying to figure out what they're doing for college, and then they all make decisions and figure things out. And yeah, you know what? Salute to Gabriella. Do the right thing. High school love—that's fleeting. Stanford—that's forever. That's what it's all about. And that's what—and that's what I think. uh, Corbin Blue's character says, "Like, look, (laughs) it was a high school moment. Like, she's gonna move on." It's like, yeah, that's what your best friend needs to say. Like, you're going to college. Like, she went to college early. Like, you don't just 
go to college early to stay with your high school boyfriend. No, mm-hmm. you look for better options. You're at Stanford. There's going to be a lot of smart people there. Credit to her. How much do you guys think it made? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Well, because it like was like High School Musical and it still had that name, it probably made like 70 to 80 million. Well, so like by made it, this would have been like at the end of the DVD period because it was like direct to TV, right? I would guess. The first two were. The third one they put in theaters. Are you serious? Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It probably still got like 70, 80 million. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going to price this right, Kyle. I'm going to say 68 million. Two hundred fifty-two million. Budget <laughs> 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 of eleven million, dude. How they didn't do a college school musical or something after the facts? Uh, that's the money train keeps rolling. How do you not keep that going? That's oh, amazing. Man. Wow. <laughs> so credit to them. Uh, uh, secure the bag. <laughs> Good up. <laughs> uh, Disney stays winning. That's what they're all about there. Uh, all right, Riley. It's fountain pen time. <laughs> yeah. Moving off of 240 million Disney movies to <laughs> fountain pen ink. Uh, this week, we have Robert Oster NG special. Let's see if you guys can see. It's like orangey. So, um, again, we're going back to Robert Oster. Robert, if you're listening, I know you do. Shout out. Um, been a while since I used an orange ink. This guy here has, as I've continued to use it, it's gone from orange to almost like an orangey brown. What it is, is it's based off of the noble gases. And if you like, I don't know how you get the noble gases to light up, but like, that's essentially, you'll like think of the periodic table and I'll be like, oh, here's like helium. And then it'll have like a certain color. I don't know how it gets that spectrum, but it's supposed to be for the noble gases. Um, I don't know, like when I first, so I think I'm, not dropping off of it, but when it first started, it's like this really bright popping orange. And now it's like a little bit more reserved. And so it's good for journaling and things like that. But in terms of like, oh, this is like a really crazy, like out there ink that I'm going with, it's kind of dropped off that a little bit. So I'd probably give it like a 6.5 out of 10. It's very useful. It's a change up from my greens and my blues and my blacks. And so I uh, appreciate that. Um, But when I first started, I was like, oh, this is like a crazy bright orange. Um, and it probably has a little bit less of that wow factor now. So pretty good um, if you're looking for a change of pace. But when you first ink it up, it's going to be super crazy. When you first put a whole bunch down, you're like, wow, this is a really orangey orange. So pretty cool, I think, so far. That's oh, cool. Andy, let's see if you can. So I put it in the demonstrator so you can kind of see. This is where the demonstrators shine. You can see the color of the ink and everything in there. So that's really cool. It's like, oh, I got this like orangey ink in the fountain pen. So I can flex to people that I'm a huge nerd with pens. So it's cool in that regard too. That's cool. Thanks Robert Oster. He's made for some fun reviews and you all those inks. That's cool. Oh my God. And I'm not even through, I'm not even through like uh, even like a 10th of them so far. I have so many more inks to go. So uh, yeah, we're going to have plenty of Robert Oster continuing on this segment. All right, let's make our predictions. Close it out. Bucks have four games this week. Monday, they start their West Coast road trip. So Monday at the Clippers. Wednesday at the Lakers, of course, without LeBron and AD. Friday at Portland. Saturday at Sacramento. Kyle, what say you? I'll say three and one. Um, I think they lose to the Clippers. I think – I don't know how 100% Giannis will be. I'm just a little hesitant there. I feel like the Clippers will want to get some payback. They should beat the shorthanded Lakers. I think they do well against Portland, and obviously the Kings they beat. So I'll say three and one. 
I'll say two and two. I think they will beat the Lakers and they'll beat the Kings. If I it was the Bucks, um, they have to do their own internal math. But I would think about giving Giannis maybe like the week off. Um, I think now is the time where if you want Drew and Chris to be forced to step up and like take a bigger role in case you need that later in the season, it's as good as time as any right now. Um, but even if Giannis is out and you have everybody else minus Bob because of the COVID protocols, um, they should be able to beat the likes of the Lakers without LeBron and AD and the likes of the Kings. So I would say two and two Giannis or no Giannis. Yeah, I'll say two and two as well. Uh, come back from the optimism of last week that didn't go very well. So two and two. I think um, I think I'm with Riley. I think they beat the Lakers and I think they beat the Kings. But I think in Portland they might have a little trouble with Dame and the Clippers. Yeah, I think they'll they'll struggle with them. Clippers are on a roll too. Just beat the Sixers. All right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our usual coverage. Share, uh, review the podcast. Subscribe, share with any people who want to listen to it too. And follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and thank you as always for listening. Bye.